Well, good morning, boys and girls. Once again, we join together around God's precious Word, and we're studying in the book of Jonah, taking up where we left off on Thursday past. It's chapter 3 of Jonah, and we're looking at that section, the verse 5 down to the end. Now, before we come to that study, today is a sad day here for us, because there is taking place the funeral of a man who has been long known here in Kilskiri, Mr. Bobby Edwards. Connections to our school are seen in that two of his grandchildren attend the school at present, and therefore we want just to take the opportunity to offer, on behalf of the school and the church, our sincerest and prayerful sympathies to the whole family circle. We're very pleased that some of the older boys, along with the principal, will be over at the church service. Because of the COVID restrictions, it's likely they'll not be able to join the congregation, but they will be there and will be representing our school and our church, and we'd like to thank them for undertaking that with the principal. Mr. Bobby Edwards, some 51 years ago, that's a long time now for some of you to even contemplate, 51 years ago, or thereabouts, I'm not quite sure of the exact date, but Mr. Edwards and his late wife, who passed away a short time ago, Mrs. Dorothy Edwards, traveled over from Kilskiri to Lisbelaw, and there they sought the Lord and were saved. They were part of a moving of the Spirit of God in this area that awakened people in this area and drew them over to the gospel meetings in Lisbelaw. And it's for that reason then we grieve and mourn today at his passing. Evidence of the conversion of Mr. and Mrs. Edwards was seen in that Around about 1972, just when Bethel Church was opening, and I'm sure Mr. Edwards had part in the building and work and labor uh, of that church, for it was largely built by the labors of the congregation up there. It had started in this below, then it built the Bethel Church, and uh, Mr. Edwards would have been part of that congregation and I'm sure part of the labor force that built Bethel. But at the very time Bethel was opening, there was amongst the people here in Kilskiri who were attending Bethel a desire to build a building here for the gospel. And Mr. and Mrs. Edwards gifted the lower part of their garden, which is now the site of our church and school. So we owe a lot to them, don't we? They gifted it. Didn't sell it. They gifted it. I think the law requires when land is transferred like that, that some payment be made. So I think there was a penny. That's an old penny, which is a lot smaller in value than the present penny. Past hand, I'm sure it ended up in the offering again. <laughs> that I am also sure of. But... It's another link between us here and the Edwards family. 
shortly after the opening of this building, this church building, and I was called here as minister, a manse was built up the road there, and that you know well. Well, Mr. Edwards was one of the chief builders in the constructing of that manse. It would have started somewhere around about 1978, and my wife, myself, and our family then moved into it in April 1980. So, again, that's another link. That's another link. The family, all of the family, attended the church school here throughout their whole school days, with the exception of young David. But all the rest of the family attended the school here. In fact, two of the boys, Alan and Ian, were part of the very first year of the school. I hesitate to say that Doreen also was part of that year, for my memory just wouldn't be that accurate, but it's likely she was. And then Hester would have joined some time later on. Some of the grandchildren attend the school here, Harvey and Victoria at present, and the older brother Matthew also passed through the school here. And then a granddaughter, Elizabeth, is a trained teacher, having trained in Newton Abbey. And she is now, even this month, I understand, entering Whitfield College to train for the mission field. So you can see there's a lot of links between the Edwards family and the work of God here and the Free Church generally. And so, personally, it is a sad day for me that there is this break in the link of those who, from the very beginning of the work in this part of the province, there has been the departing of one long associated with that work. We offer to the whole family circle today our prayerful sympathy. And again, I thank the boys for representing us over at the service. Now let's turn, please, to our study. We're taking up where we left off on Thursday past. At the verse 10, where it says, So the people of Nineveh believe God. Even as I say those words, boys and girls, it occurs to me a little thought. It doesn't say there, So the people of Nineveh believed Jonah. Now they did believe Jonah. But they recognized that Jonah was speaking on God's behalf. So his words were God's words. Boys and girls, when you come to a good Bible-believing church and sit down, when the minister begins to speak, it's not him you're listening to. It's the Word of God. That's what you're listening to today. I'm the voice, but the words are the words of God. So it says, the people of Nineveh believed God. They realized that they were having a dealing with God. It wasn't Jonah they were responding to. It was God. Oh, that you might recognize that, realize that. And I want you to notice in this portion, as we take up our study again, the glorious results amongst the people. We're looking at Jonah's preaching the last time, but now we're looking at the results of that presenting to the people of the Word of God. There were wonderful results, and you take note of them. The first thing I want you to notice is what is said in verse 6. Look there. The Word came unto the king of Nineveh, 
And he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from off him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. You'll see that the results of believing God is seen, first of all, in the king and his behavior. It started from the top. That doesn't often happen, boys and girls. History will show us that whenever God moved amongst the nations, it usually was amongst the people and, and kings and queens. If they responded to the word of God, it was usually after the people began to show obedience. And they were influenced by the people. But here, this moving of God in Nineveh was all the more unusual and exceptional in that it starts with the king. What an unusual thing it is for kings to show an example to the people. I would that today our royal family were an example to the people. They're not. I have to say that. They're anything but. They're Sabbath breakers. They're Bible rejectors. And there's great immorality amongst them. Oh, you should pray as the Bible directs us to pray for the royal family. God of mercy on them. Mercy on our very aged queen. That God would speak to her heart and save her. Well, here the king very publicly repents. He displays very publicly that he was obeying God. And he didn't wait for anyone else to act in repentance, but he got off his throne. And that's significant if we just think about it. He arose from his throne. He set all that his throne represented, the royalty, the splendor, the money, the glory. He set it all aside. And he obeyed God. Set off his royal robes, put on sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. That's an ancient practice amongst the ancient nations that indicated great sorrow, putting on sackcloth, sprinkling ashes oftentimes upon themselves and sitting in ashes. That, that's an indication of great sorrow. What are ashes? What are ashes? Ashes are the remnants of what used to be beautiful trees, usually wood that people burned back then. And ashes were all that were left after the fire had destroyed some beautiful trees. And this man is showing, sitting amongst ashes, that's all there is in my life before God. There's no beauty in me. I'm just ashes in God's eyes. And in my own eyes, I recognize how worthless I am, how empty I am. And this was the result of believing the gospel, having been told he was a sinner, and that God's wrath was coming upon him because of his sins. He believed God. And he, his eyes were opened to his own nothingness. And he showed that by his putting off his royal garments, putting on old garments, sackcloth, and sitting in ashes. Started with the king, and he wonderfully displayed his faith. Verse 9, he, he spoke of it. He told others. He issued a decree. He issued a command, an instruction to his people. Verse 9 tells us this. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? That was his hope. That was his faith. 
That's what moved him. That's what moved him. This was his faith. He listened to Jonah. Jonah, after all, said, if you repent, you'll be saved. The very fact that Jonah was there, warning them of judgment, indicated there was a way of escape. If there was no way of escape, God wouldn't have sent Jonah. He would have just destroyed them. But the presence of the preacher announcing the coming judgment was an indication of mercy. It's the mercy of God that causes him to warn us of the danger of damnation. That's mercy. And the king, taking heed of the warning, responds to that warning, humbles himself before God in the hope that God will have mercy upon them. Look at the fervent prayer that was offered at that time, not only by the king, but amongst the people. Verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hand. Cry unto God. So across the whole country, as a result of the preaching of Jonah, and as a result of the example of the king, there was a cry went up to God. The very fact that the animals were involved, not in praying, but men covered their animals with sackcloth as an indication that their whole being and all that they had was being subjected to this spirit of grief and sorrow over their sin. All that they had. And thinking of the lady, the first convert in Europe, Lydia, when she got saved... It says the Lord opened her heart so that she gave response and obedience to the gospel preached by Paul. Her heart was opened and she received the gospel. And then she said, come into my house. I'll look after you, Paul and your friends. I'll I'll provide for you. You see, not only was her heart given to the Lord, but all that she had was at the Lord's disposal and there's the same spirit manifested here amongst the people of Nineveh when you read about the cows and the beasts being involved in this display of repentance now let me tell you this amazing as this whole event is the wonderful number that was involved I mentioned this before that there were 120,000 very young children very last verse of the book says that. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons? That's 120,000 young ones who can't discern their right hand from their left. That indicates they're very young. So there was 120,000 youngsters in Nineveh. And from that you can calculate approximately what the population of that city must have been. I'd say without a shadow of a doubt, you're talking about half a million people, and likely far more. But you're talking about that at least. You had mommies and daddies, and I'm sure you would have had adult brothers and sisters. And very soon, you're up there at half a million people. And half a million people got saved under the preaching of Jonah. That makes Jonah one of the greatest evangelists there ever was. Now, in the light of this wondrous, unique event, can we really believe that they got saved? These heathen people, who had no knowledge of the gospel until Jonah came in among them and began to preach. 
I think that that would be true to say that they had no knowledge. There may have been some influence of Jewish truth and witness had come to them, but I would say that they were a wicked and vile people who had rejected any truth they had ever heard, so there was nothing but darkness amongst them. And yet, all these people got saved, I'm saying. But can we be sure about it? Can we? Well, yes, we can. How do I know? Well, you see, I'm told by a very important person that they got saved. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 12 without losing your place in Jonah, although we have really come to the end of our time. This is a good place to stop. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And we're considering the verse 41. Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. And who is speaking? Why, it's the Lord Jesus. And he's speaking about the events in Nineveh. And talking about Jonah. Well, if you look at verse 40. For as Jonah saw, that's the Greek form of the Hebrew name, Jonah. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's how we know that Jonah really was swallowed by a great fish, the whale. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it because... They repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. He's referring to himself in those last words. He's a greater than Jonas. And because the people to whom he preached didn't believe him, he who was a greater preacher than Jonah, the people in Nineveh who did repent at the preaching of Jonah shall rise up to condemn the generation of Jews who rejected the preaching of the Lord Jesus. And they'll rise up to condemn an awful lot more than just that generation. There's many throughout the ages who had great and wonderful privileges and opportunities under the gospel, and they rejected it. And the people of Nineveh will rise up on the day of the Lord, and they'll say, why didn't you? We believe God. We who were dark and ignorant... We believe God. Why didn't you people? Tell me. Will the people of Jonah's day, the people of Nineveh, rise up and point the finger at you and say, Why didn't you repent of the gospel? You heard it all your days. And you didn't believe. We only heard it for a few days. And we believed. And we repented. And God had mercy. Oh, don't be condemned for your unbelief by the people of Nineveh in the great day that's coming. Let's just bow in prayer. We ask thee, Lord, to bless even that family that's mourning today and undertake for all the services and all the undertakings of this day. And bless the school, Lord. And bless the group that's going over to show sympathy, our sympathy, at the funeral service. Be with the school. Be with the teachers. Grant thy grace and mercy to us one and all. We ask this in our blessed Saviour's name, the merciful God who saved all those thousand in Nineveh. Amen and Amen.